I'm going to open by reading the verse that we've been focused on um, for the last six weeks. And, and then what I want to do is I want to give context a little bit from where we've been and how it connects to where we are going. And so if you could pull up Psalm 27, verse 4. I'm going to read that aloud. One thing I ask from the Lord, this only do I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to gaze on the beauty of the Lord and to seek Him in His temple. So six weeks ago we started this series, Dwell, Gaze, and Seek. And we've covered uh, a lot of different territory, a lot of different ground in the context of that series. And it comes for us from this, at the, when we were praying about what God was speaking to our community and what he was taking us through, we felt like this word beauty really was highlighted to us. And the thing about beauty is that it's a really specific word. I might, we might need to turn this mic down just a bit. It's coming in a little bit hot. Beauty is a specific word that because it represents a multifaceted experience of God and an expression of God that isn't like scientifically or technically describable. And when I listen to, I've listened to a lot of different sermons over my life, and when I listen to them, I could boil them down into a lot of them, or most of them, into two categories. There's like this, there are these sermons that are like explanation sermons that are like, here, here is trying to explain all the technical elements of what God might be saying or doing or the Bible. And then there are these application sermons that are like, here's how, here's how it works out in your life. And our heart with emphasizing the beauty of God this year was to not just focus on the explanation of the kingdom or the application of the kingdom, but to focus on the expression of the kingdom. And Jesus, when he walked the earth, he said that one of the very first things that he says in Matthew 4 when he started his ministry was to repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. And for the next you know, years of his life, he spent the majority of his emphasis and his time both, both announcing the kingdom and demonstrating the kingdom. And so our hope this year in emphasizing the beauty of God is that he would connect us to the true essence, not the explanation, not the application, but the essence of who God is and the essence of his kingdom. And oftentimes when Jesus would give even explanations, they would create more questions than answers. But I heard a preacher one time say that the, the church is often long on application and short on announcement of the kingdom. And we want to be long on announcement of the kingdom. Amen? And so, so our emphasis on the beauty of God is an essence on the emphasis of not how we take the Christian principles to become better Christians, although that matters to some degree, but an emphasis on an expression of who God is and the kingdom we get to experience. And so we landed on this series out of Psalm 27 because we wanted to explore 
the expressions of David's desire given in this psalm on dwelling, gazing, and seeking upon the beauty of God. And I'm so grateful for Susanna. She's working back in the kids this, this, this week. But her message this last week on the ways in which God, like the tools that God was using for her to seek them. And we've gone through dwelling and we've gone through gazing. We've talked about contemplative prayer. And I want to, I want to tie everything up this week and kind of take us from where we have been to where we're going. And so this next week, we start into Lent. And I want to give a little explanation of why we do Lent as a community. And I've done this the last three or four years. We, I think it's, I don't know, I think this might be the fourth year. I, I, I'm not counting. I think it might be the fourth year as a community we've gone through Lent. But most of us, I think it's safe to say most of us in this room didn't go up to churches, grow up in churches going through Lent. How many of you did grow up in a church that went through liturgical calendars? A couple of us in the room, but most of us, it's sort of a foreign thing. And I want to give like reason why we're doing Lent and why we do house church, because that also starts this week. Um, so if you look, go back in history, Lent was a time of preparation and a time of like consecration and repentance. I want to talk about both of these things for a minute. So historically, the church used Lent as a time to prepare people who were being baptized so that they, they had, let's say they had come to a conviction that Jesus is the way. They, they use this as a time to prepare them to thoughtfully see the stories of Jesus so that they could make this public confession of their faith by actually examining like the foundational stories of the faith. And so the church would use this on the calendar every year, not just to bring not just to bring people in who were new, but to remind us of the key like stories that make up our faith, which are found in the life of Jesus. Amen. And this, and the second thing that Lent you know was used for was to bring people back in the sort of spirit of repentance to allowing God to kind of burn off like the dross and the straw and the things that it needed to be removed for our li- in our lives. So sort of this two, twofold element of it where it was preparing those and reminding those who needed to remember and to be grounded in the foundational stories and was also a time to remove things that weren't essential that needed to be removed. And so that that's sort of the historical reason and I want to talk a little bit about how we use Lent primarily as a community. And I think one of the things I mentioned is we we've utilized the liturgical calendar. We don't believe that it gets you any extra spiritual brownie points. Like we don't like there are some churches that have a value for tradition that they think that tradition itself somehow makes them more holy or more set apart. And then if we break that, we're somehow doing anything wrong. We don't think that there's anything wrong with not telling these stories for the next seven weeks. We just think that pragmatically it, it's, it's beneficial for a number of reasons. And so 
Everybody with me on that? I just I like to demystify it every year so that you understand we, we're not approaching this as somehow believing that this warrants us any extra special place in heaven. And so I'm going to talk through three points this morning. I'm not normally a three-point in the last number of years. I haven't been a three-point sermon guy. But I'm going to give you three points. And they're going to be like kind of like long, nuanced points. And I don't know what else to tell you. That's what they are. So I'm going to say them, and then I'm going to say them again. So here's, a, here's the first point. And this is this is grounding point of why, why we use Lent and why we do the house church. The first point in, is that back to this narrative, we want to be grounded in the narrative, is that the scriptures, the Bible, are a cohesive set of books telling an overarching narrative by different people over centuries that cover human history with Jesus as the center focus point of that story. So, it's a narrative that's been written over centuries, and at the center of that narrative is Jesus. Amen? So, let's, let's jump into that. In Hebrews 12, 1-3, this will be a verse that you're familiar with. It says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer, the perfecter of faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. How many of you have quoted this scripture at some point before? This is like, this is like a countless one. Um, and I've mentioned this point maybe a, a year or two ago, but, I, but often when I've read this scripture, I don't know how you've read it, but often when I've read this, I've most often seen this, like when I think of fixing my eyes on Jesus, I, I think of it in connection to sort of how I imagine Jesus to be in my prayer. Like if I will fix my eyes on Jesus, get all the other distractions out, then he will work things out for me. But I think what the author is primarily trying to say here is that we must fix our eyes on the narrative and the story of Jesus given us to us in the Gospels. In fact, I, I think that's clarified by the fact that he goes on to explain what he does on the cross, how he endured it, the joy set before him, and that that would be an example for us to endure in our faith. And so when it says fix our eyes on Jesus, it's not just saying pray really hard, contemplate on how he's loved you and think about all the testimonies you have. All of that is valid and important. It's also saying Fix our eyes on Jesus. He went to the cross, scorning at shame, with the joy set before him, was sat to the, on the right hand. He basically tells the story of Jesus in a sentence. And he says, fix our eyes on this man. This is how our faith must be perfected. So the writer is not merely telling us to fix our eyes on the imagined Jesus we encounter. He is trying to fix, get us to fix our eyes on the story of Jesus 
And as we watch his endurance and his history, we will not grow weary. When we are immersed in the gospel story, it makes us strong. And losing the gospel story in our imaginations makes us weak. Really simple as that. And so it's important for our formation, for our maturity, for our strengthening, that we actually are exposing our hearts and our minds year after year, day after day, to the story of Jesus. Amen? And so when we come to Lent every year, we get to remind ourselves of the fundamental stories of Jesus because God has given us an incredible narrative that brings us into His beauty. The the Bible is not primarily a guide of how to live a better life. I, I love when people are like, well, the Bible is my guide. I'm like, that's a really confusing guide. Like, I, I, I read the, my son is really good at building Legos. And as a kid, I could follow those instructions for about 2.9 seconds. And, but Judah, at seven years old, that kid could sit there for an hour. And like, I could kind of, we could kind of supervise him and help him a little. But he will just, he'll build the entire Death Star of Legos. Just following the instructions. The Bible does not look like the Lego instructions. Let me just say that. So the Bible is not primarily a guide to a better life, but rather it's a story. It's a narrative that unveils and expresses the nature of God, the beauty of His majesty, the mystery of His intent with creation and His people, and the wonder of His works in the earth. It's like a novel to get lost into that has unfolding revelation. It's not a Lego's instruction kit. Amen? It's not not just a manual. It's a novel of epic proportion. Connecting us to the beauty of the master editor, the Father. I I love imagining the Father in relation to the Scripture, as not merely the one inspiring the writing, but but the editor pulling together all of these people's lives, these stories, hinging around Jesus, like unveiling this beauty of God's intent in the earth. And so we come back to Lent every year because we are seeking, like this is an element of our seeking. We want to seek the beauty of of God. We want to devour his story and we want to come into his narrative. Amen. Okay, so here's so the point one is I I'll I'll say it simply is that it the Bible is a narrative. That narrative is capstone in Jesus. Point number two is that the narrative is experienced in community where it is fully comprehended and unveiled in life together. I want to say that again. The narrative is experienced in community where it is fully comprehended and and unveiled in life together. I want to read from Ephesians 3, 14 through 21. It says, For this reason, this is Paul writing, I kneel before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. 
I pray that out of his glorious riches he may strengthen you with the power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have the power together with all the Lord's people to grasp how wide and how long and how high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the, to the measure of the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to this power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. I want to focus on this one part. It says, it says, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts. Let me make sure I got the right here, part here. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, and I, and I pray that you being rooted and established in love may have the power together, notice this word together, with all the Lord's people to grasp how wide, how long, how deep, how high is the love of Christ. I want to make a point that independence is one of the greatest illusions of our culture. We, we believe, first of all, that we have independence. We believe that we should have independence. And I'm not sure to tell you is that none of you have independence, nor do you want independence. You do not have autonomy for everything you do. Your, your life is a woven tapestry of trauma and blessing and beauty and life that you've experienced with everybody you've ever known. Like, there isn't a person that you've ever encountered that did not affect you in some small way. Like, you, you, aren't, you aren't some independent creature that has come to all your own conclusions, that figured out everything you got to do, and got all your self-will and did all that you wanted to do. Like, that is not the way we are wired. Like, we, we don't... And this is the, the secondary illusion is that somehow independence is where strength comes from. But it's not independence that's where strength comes from. But, but there's fullness of strength comes through interdependence. Likewise, God has not given us a narrative to jet, digest primarily in a field of solitude. As much as I like some solitude, which I do, Solitude is a facet of God. It's the secret place is a facet. Jesus is the one who implored us to have a secret place. But the same Jesus who implored us to have the secret place is also the one that at his critical hour before he was going to die was looking for some friends to pray with him. Amen? I want to read the scripture again. It says, I pray that out of the glorious riches he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith and that I pray that you being rooted and established in love 
may have the power together with all the Lord's people to grasp how, how high, wide, long, and high the deep the love of Christ, and to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Like, it takes an incredible power to grasp how wide, how long, and how high the deep the Father's love is, and to be filled with the fullness of the measure of God. And the critical way for us to have the power to grasp all of that is to be together with God's people. Togetherness is the power. A few weeks ago, we talked about contemplative prayer. And we talked about the secret place. And I, lo I love seeking God in, in the secret. But it's interesting to me how we have made that the pinnacle of spirituality. We've made like the quintessence of the Christian life to be finding like this perfect prayer life alone with God. And if you're, re if you're honest with yourself, I don't know how many of you have ever thought this. If you're honest with yourself, when you look at the life of Jesus, it would be really hard to look at his life and, and see that that was the main priority, right? I mean, like he talks about it, but it is not the only thing or even the primary thing that he's doing. And so the, the role of community in our spiritual development is not merely to keep you accountable for your own personal life with God. Like, in fact, I'm going to tell you, if you use a community just as a means to keep you accountable for your own personal life with God, your personal life with God will die. It is a terrible way to approach what spiritual maturity means. What spiritual maturity is, is that together we are able to comprehend the depth, the width, the height, the length of the love of God. Community isn't just the accountability, it's the lens through which we see God. Community is the vessel through which the Spirit is contained. Like when David prayed in Psalm 27, I want to seek you in your temple, he likely had a place in mind made with material substance but that the hands of men had made. But when Paul talks about the temple in Ephesians, this is what he says in Ephesians 2, 20 through 22. It says, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, which with Christ Jesus himself is the cornerstone, in Him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in Him, you two are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by His Spirit. So this is not a temple made by human hands, but like contrary to the way we teach, we often talk about our lives being the temple of the Holy Spirit. But I believe when Paul talks about us being the temple of the Holy Spirit, he's not talking about you individually being the temple of the Holy Spirit. He's talking about the body collectively being the temple of the Holy Spirit. 
He's talking about us collectively coming together because the seeking is not a personal thing that you can do. It, it, is, it is something that we must do together where we bring our mouth and we bring our ear as a gift to each other. The, the way we often we treat community, uh, it's, it's like we treat it like on, on the intersection of our spiritual development is that we treat it oftentimes like we're a gold miner and we're going in to get gold in our little caves and we come out and meet all of our community of gold miners and we sharpen our axe or our little pick. I don't know, what do you use for mining gold? Some sort of pick. We sharpen our pick and we all kind of rally around and we're like, well, here's how you spot some gold when you're in the cave and you sharpen your picks up and then we go back into the mine and we go look for gold. Like that's the way I think the church conceives of community and spirituality. Do you know the way that it's supposed to be is that we're all going in the same dang mine together and we're working together to bring out the gold, the truth, the beauty of God, to seek Him together. We're not coming to rally around to sharpen our little pickaxes and get our wisdom improved so we can go in our hole together alone. If we are to encounter the beauty of God, we must go into the hole together. What will happen if we don't experience this narrative together is that at some point there will be a plateau and the celebration of your spiritual discipline will grow stale and dull. How many of you have ever had your spiritual discipline grow stale and dull? I can, I can tell you when I reflect back, hindsight's twenty twenty, but when I reflect back on my pursuit of God becoming stale and dull, I would say most of the time it was because I lacked a sufficient um, engagement in my own discipline with community. Most of the time, I didn't get to share with somebody else what was happening. I, I remember this moment I had with my brother when we were, um, I think my brother was 18. I might have been, yeah, I think I was 20, 22. We went to, our family went to Scotland. And we had this miracle that happened in Scotland. It rains all the time. We had sun the entire time while we were there. And one day we were going to go climb on this, this mountain that was um, in the highlands. That's like the, when you imagine going to Scotland, climbing a mountain in the highlands is like, that's, that's, the, that's the, the peak. And so we're going to climb this mountain, but there are these clouds that sort of like, that don't reveal the top of the mountain. And so we didn't know how long this was going to take us. We just start going up the hill. And it was one of these things where, you know, we got up the top of the first hill and we're like, oh, we're getting to the end. And then like, like a peak, like three times as high unveiled itself. And we're like, oh my gosh, that's a long ways up. And so, you know, we climb, we scale, like get the top of that. And then it's like, dun, dun, dun. It was like five times, you know, it's like this kept happening. And I was like, I'm a little bit, I, those of you know me, like, I'm a little bit adventurous. I like to push the boundaries on some things. 
And so I, you know, I kept kind of pushing my brother along and and he was like, you think we should keep going? I'm like, yes, we should keep going. Don't worry about the people. Down, don't worry about everybody down there waiting for us. Let's just keep going. So we just, we just kept going and got at the end, like, like after we had, you know, gone after peak after peak, we got to this very end and, and it was like, we really had to like scale this, like this part of the, uh, the mountain that was like really vertical and it was kind of like slippery. There were a lot of loose, loose dirt and rocks and I made it up the top and my brother goes, should I keep going? He yelled from the, and I was like, the whole time I kept pushing him, I was like, I don't know because <laughs> it was fairly dangerous. And so Tyler ends up going up and we got to the very top of this mountain and it was like, now mind you, we had had sun the whole time, but at the very top of this mountain, it was like we were on a ridge. If, if you can imagine, like there's like 500 foot cliff all around us. We're on a ridge, and there's like maybe the width of the of the sound booth here at the top of this thing on this ridge. And there's like this half pipe of rock carved out that goes down like a thousand feet on one side. And I'm like looking down this thing, and there's just clouds shooting up it like. 20 miles an hour, like you just put your face out and there's just like moisture hits you right in the face. And Tyler, because he's a hopeless romantic, like turns on Braveheart music while we're sitting up there and we're just experiencing this and we're just like, God, we're like, oh my gosh, this is so incredible. And probably once a year, Tyler, I'll be in Tyler's presence and he'll tell this story to somebody who's like, we went up this thing and we, you know, and all this. And one of the things I realized over the years was I would not remember that beauty if it wasn't for Tyler continuing to tell the story. And it would have been a cool experience by myself, but it probably wouldn't have been something that I was talking about today. And somehow Tyler retelling the story allows the details to be so implanted in my mind, like every, like I can imagine, like all the rock, and, and it's because it's something that's shared together. When you, when you share experience with people, it isn't just about the accountability of continuing, it's about the, it's about the shared expression, the shared perspective that you have when reflecting upon the beauty that you're experiencing. And it's just such a limited perspective to put the, the pinnacle of the Christian life to be your personal prayer time that doesn't involve anyone else. And you don't gain that like, oh, remember when we did that? Amen? The, the beauty we experienced was something we shared together and it lives on in our shared story. Like the imagined memory has more depth, more acuity and substance and accessibility precisely because we shared it together. Like you feel the struggle and the glory and all of those things, they're not an ode to your to your independent human spirit, but they're an ode to togetherness and what is possible with that. 
Could you um, pull out the uh, prayer journal or just grab me one? So I'm uh, I'm trying to give some context to where we're where we've been, where we're going. How many of you have one of these? Okay, so this this has um, kind of the scriptures of prayer that we are praying together, that we're reading together. It's a daily daily path of reading. It, this also covers the scriptures that we'll be covering during Lent. The reason that we put this together, the reason that we do Lent, the reason we experience this narrative together is because it's like going up a mountain together. This... I. Like, I don't just have my own Bible reading plan because I want to experience the reading in community. Like, this is the way the church has been doing this for like 2,000 years. Like, we don't just all like come up with our own thing and like, I mean, you do that some, and that's okay some. Like, I, like I have my own little projects that I'm working on, and that's fine, that's wonderful. But the reason that we read scripture together, the reason that we go through things together is because God's beauty is experienced in togetherness. Amen? So, just making that point. Like, that's, that's, why, we, that's why we do this. So, last point is, is this. That the Holy Spirit is the ultimate guide for our seeking God and truth together. So we've covered the narrative. We've covered that he, it's experienced in community. And lastly, that it's discerned by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the ultimate guide for our seeking of God and truth together. So if you, if you take anything from this series, the, seek, the series on seeking God, take this, that Jesus tells the woman at the well, that God is spirit and that he must be worshipped in spirit and in truth. Truth that is from God must be discerned by the spirit. If you, are, if you are seeking God, it must be done by the spirit. Because the spirit is the substance of what God is. So next week, when we begin Lent, we will start in the wilderness. We'll start with Jesus in the wilderness. And when Jesus is tempted, the first stage of his temptation is to turn stones to bread. How many of you have ever been annoyed at this temptation? I'm just saying, like, how many of you ever read it and like, what kind of temptation is that? Like, eat bread? Like, that doesn't seem like a real temptation. And it's an interesting temptation because it really has, there's really nothing wrong with eating bread. In fact, Jesus often does break bread and drink wine with people. It's something he does. It's, it's, and oftentimes in church history, there are these different camps that have gotten into the mode of what it means to be spiritual is that we must deny all pleasures of the physical world um, to pursue God. But, when I read the stories of Jesus, he drank wine and ate bread. And so what we do recognize here, though, is that for this moment, Jesus was supposed to focus on the things of the spirit, 
not the material pleasures of food. Like he, he for a moment removed himself and it was so important that it would have been disobedience to God for him to eat this food. And so it would have been like we fast to deprive ourselves of things that give us enjoyment, comfort, peace, things that occupy our minds, things that entertain us. We are depriving ourselves of things that bring us joy and peace, and belonging, whatever it may be for a season, so that we can more fully feast on the table of the Spirit. And so I want to stop and mention what we're going to be doing over the next, over the next weeks until we get to Easter is that we're, we're like sometimes with Lent, there's like, you know, kind of you fast, choose what you want to fast. I don't think that's as helpful. And what we decided as a staff that we wanted to lead into was fasting media and entertainment. So I mean like Netflix, social media, Amazon. How, how many of you like one of like four or five nights a week, one of the last things you do is watch like a 30 minute or an hour show. I mean, come on, I, I, that's, we do it. And there's nothing wrong, like, like there was nothing wrong for Jesus, like in most seasons to eat bread, but for a season, he was depriving himself of one thing because in the deprivation of one thing, we get the presence of another thing. And so as a community, what we are going to be focused on is the narrative of Jesus and we want to deprive ourselves of the narratives of this world. For 40 days, we're, we're going to remove our minds off of the things of this world. And what you find really quickly is you turn off the TV for 40 days, we've done this, and you feel that itch pretty strong. Like, you feel that itch to turn on that Netflix show really, really strong. And it's not, there's nothing wrong, like, you know, we, we, we like, there's a lot of shows that we like. We like watching, we like watching Netflix, but for, but for 40 days, our goal is to deprive ourselves of the narratives and the stories of this world so that we can feast on the story of Jesus. Um. I went probably like a year and a half with no social media. And for the last month, I've made up for that entire year and a half on Twitter. Like I like I let the door open. And this week, like when things came out with 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 Russia and Ukraine, which I am praying for peace in that situation, I I could not be more informed than I possibly like. I like it was just like my brain went glue for 24 straight hours and then I looked at my I looked at my screen time for a week and I was like oh my gosh like I have just gotten consumed and my my point is I probably went a little overboard with that but my point is sometimes there are seasons for things but there are seasons for us to deprive ourselves of those things we get comfortable with so that we can feast on the story of Jesus. Yes, you can watch The Chosen. <laughs> and so, um, I, I, we're going to be doing that as, as a church. So, this week, we're going to be 
starting house church, if you could throw up the, the announcement thing, I want to walk you through. We have a week with a number of things happening. Um, we don't normally plan this much in a week, but it's all connected to the start of house church. So how many of you have gotten some, y'all have gotten some announcement about house church? Raise your hand. You're somewhat informed. Okay. So we will be starting house church this week. It will be sort of an intro week. It, the next week we will jump into all the, the Lenten stories. So on Sunday we will talk about whatever the story of Jesus is that week. And then we will go over with it in, in house church. And there will be at our house on Tuesday nights at 6.30. And at the, starting at the Sipes house on Wednesday nights at 6.30. We will jump in, and then also we, are, we have the Ash Wednesday services. We, we really want to encourage you to participate in these. Like, it's a time to engage our hearts with, like, repentance and just remind, being reminded of what God is speaking to us. We will do those at 7.30 and 11.30 in the morning. Those will be 30 minutes long. And the last thing, which we've made announcement of um, a number of times, is a shepherding night. I'm going to be doing a short teaching on what it means to shepherd and pastor the lives of others. And so we'll be hosting people in our home. But I want to give you this just in the context of this. We're, this year, we're, we're not just going to be focused on um, discussion. We're going to be focused on, like, as a community, encountering these scriptures. And so we're going to be doing Lectio Divina together, be doing contemplative prayer together, and we want to be able to encounter these texts on a weekly basis. Um, let me see if there's anything else I need to cover. Okay, we're good. I, I really want to just kind of um, finish with this. Um, I would like to invite you, encourage you to participate because I think that it's us sharing these narratives and the stories together that will enable us to be able to fully just get immersed in the story of Jesus.